Good morning. My name is Lauren, and I'm a covenant member here at Redeemer. And this morning, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, and we're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is God's word. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Um, for, thank, just to echo what Ryan said, we're so glad that you guys have come to worship with us this morning. Um, for those who've, of who you I don't know, uh, my name is Brian Carroll. Uh, I'm one of the other pastors here. And um, like I said, we're just really glad that you're here uh, this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and um, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Um, we're going to be in verses t- uh, 24 through 29 today. Um, this is week 7 of Colossians, uh, and we're just going to be finishing chapter 1. So you might be thinking, are we going to be done in uh, a year or two? Maybe. We'll see. Uh, no, we, it'll speed up a little bit after this, but um, um, but uh, we do want to take our time in, in going through this very important letter um, that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. So um, as you're turning there, uh, I think probably what could be said for all of us is that there were things in our lives that at one point we really enjoyed or liked that we just don't anymore. Um, there's things that we once held dear, things that we enjoyed, whether it's a show or a movie or something like that, that maybe just for whatever reason, as time went on, we just kind of saw, felt ourselves drifting away from that. For a lot of us, it was fashion. So where are my 90s and early 2000s kids at? Right? So I don't know, if you grew up in that era, um, what was really popular back then was to bleach your hair. Um, I did partake in that fad. There are pictures somewhere out there, uh, not on the internet, so don't try to look, uh, of me with bleached hair uh, in my little puka shell necklaces. Um, that was really cool back in the 90s. Um, also, what was really cool back in the 90s, anyone remember Jinko jeans? Okay, there's a few of us. So, so you wouldn't know it right now, but there was a time in my life where I liked baggy jeans. Um, and, and so like that was, for whatever reason, it was a fad that I just, I kind of walked away from. Um, like I said, maybe some of you guys are might thinking of your old self. Maybe if you grew up uh, in the 80s or the 70s or whenever, they're like, man, like that was cool then, but I'm glad I don't wear bell bottoms anymore. Um, I'm glad I don't have that afro anymore. So whatever it is, right, there are things that we um, might have once held dear um, that we just don't anymore. This would normally be the time where I would take a little jab at the Cowboys or country music, but I'll refrain from that, um, right? So, but, but it's this idea that um, as we grow older, as seasons change, as we enter into new phases of our lives, um, there are things that we used to like or hold dear that we just don't anymore. And, and in a lot of ways, this is the life of the Christian. 
Uh, this is the life of those who us who put our hope and faith in Jesus. That there are things in our lives, things that were true about us, that we once loved and enjoyed, that we are now moving away from. Uh, Matt, Matt Chandler, he says it like this. It's a reshuffling of what we find valuable. It's a reorienting. It's a reshuffling of the things that we find valuable. And it's this idea that as Christians, as we are being molded and conformed to the image of Jesus, this isn't a one and done thing, right? We are on this process of life, ongoingly looking more like Jesus. And as we do, him ongoingly showing us things that we need to let go of, that we need to move away from. And the only reason that we're able to have this reshuffling of what's valuable, this reorienting of things that we hold dear, is because of the work of Christ in us. Because of this work of that Christ in us. This, uh, Jesus is in you. And so what Paul is going to talk to us about today um, is this idea of what is it as Christians, uh, what does it mean for us to be mature in our faith? Um, Paul's ministry um, was about seeing the church grow and be healthy and mature. And he called, and the, the core of that maturity isn't found in behavior modification, isn't found in what can I do to be better, what steps can I take to be a better person, but rather it's this idea of Christ in you, the mystery hidden for ages in all generations uh, um, that until now. And so we're going to talk about what is this mystery and what does this have to do with our maturity and growth and why is that so important? And my hope for us today, um, and we are going to cover quite a bit of ground uh, uh, for a little bit, but my hope for us today um, is that we begin to see things in our own lives that might need to be reshuffled so we can elevate Jesus in our own hearts. The goal of today is to elevate Christ, not to change our behavior. I'm going to say this in the front end. The goal of Christian maturity is not for us to try to be better, work harder, um, but rather it's to find our rest in Jesus and allow him to do the work in us. That's, I'm, I'm, that's where we're going to be going today. And so, um, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. And so, like I said, Paul's job uh, for the church in Colossae, and really all the churches that he planted, was to help them grow mature and, and, and be strong and established. A lot of times when we think of the ministry of Paul, we tend to think of him as just an evangelist. He went from town to town preaching the gospel, and then once he did his little tour, revival tour, he went to the next town. Um, Paul obviously was an evangelist. He did proclaim the gospel, but the gospel that he proclaimed, right, the way he preached the gospel, he preached it to both believers and non-believers. He preached it to non-believers so that they could be invited into the hope to be had in Christ. He preached to believers this gospel message of this ongoing grace in Jesus because, like I said, it wasn't that the gospel was just the entry point to salvation and then like it was up to the people to grow, but rather he saw that their need for Jesus um, extended even into the Christian life. There was never a moment where they didn't need Jesus. And so his job was to help churches be firm and founded and believers to be healthy and mature. Paul was a church planner. Paul, yes, was an evangelist. Yes, he did proclaim the gospel, but his goal wasn't just for people to come to be, save souls and then go. His goal was to help Christians grow as disciples. Christians to grow as disciples. And so, like I said, it wasn't just about um, saving souls, but rather he toiled, as this text says. He struggles for the maturity of the believers. 
And so let's look a little more about this ministry that God called him. Let's go ahead and look at verses 24 and 25. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me uh, for you to make the word of God fully known. So when you look at verse 24, it sounds a little bit unusual, right? Uh, what does Paul mean that I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Is he hinting that, that, that Christ's salvation wasn't enough, that he has to kind of continue some work? No. The whole point of the letter of Colossians is that it's only Jesus. We need only Jesus for salvation and for, uh, for sanctification. It's only Jesus. So what's he getting at when he says that I am filling up what is lacking uh, in Christ's afflictions? What he means is that he saw his suffering and his persecution and his afflictions as a means for the church to grow. It was the means, his suffering uh, for the sake of the body, for the sake of the church, was meant to help further the gospel message. And so if he saw, like I said, if he saw an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed, he was going to take it, even if it meant his suffering, even if it meant him getting chased out of town with stones, even if it meant him getting thrown into prison, because his goal was not his own safety and comfort. Rather, his goal was the furtherance of the gospel into the world. So Paul was going to do whatever was necessary, even if it meant afflictions and sufferings, for the sake of gospel advancement. And he really affirms this. He affirms this in a lot of his other letters, but specifically, uh, he, you, we see this affirmed in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, when he says, For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Note this. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And what he means by there is that I will go be afflicted if it's for the sake of the gospel furthering in your own hearts and in your own towns and in your own uh, region, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to suffer for you. I'm going to, my sufferings are going to be for, on behalf of the church. Right? And that's, and that's what he says. Um, that gospel, that through his persecution and suffering, um, because of the gospel com, uh, proclamation, um, he knew that the church was, would benefit, and that caused him to rejoice. Because he says he rejoices in his sufferings, because he knows that in them, the gospel is going to be advanced. The gospel is going to be advanced. And like I said, not just for people um, hearing about Jesus for the first time, but also for the maturation and growing and sanctification of those who already place faith in Jesus. And, he, and really, he, he uh, kind of talks a little bit more about his calling in verse 25. He says um, that I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Note that this job of being a minister, first off, was for the church. It wasn't self-serving. It wasn't for him to elevate his own name, but rather it was for the sake of the church. And that word minister means uh, executing uh, somebody else's commands. You're a person who's executing uh, somebody else's um, commands. And so parents in here, how many of y'all ever ask your kids to mow the yard or do some kind of chores, right? All right, so whenever you're telling your kids to mow the yard or do the dishes or clean your room, whatever it is, you are, ex you are the one who's giving the commands. Your kids are the ministers, 
All right, so kids, who, anyone here as a grown-up have to be, uh, have to always mow the lawn or whatever? You are the minister of the lawn, all right? So now, whenever your parents ask you to mow the lawn, you'd be like, I am the minister of the lawn, all right? So, right, but that's what Paul was. He was a minister of the gospel, and he says, according to the stewardship of God. And so that word stewardship means uh, administration or household management. And so essentially, when you put these things together, Paul's job was to be the person who executed um, what God's plan of farthing the gospel was. God's household, God's administration uh, was to build his kingdom and build his church. And Paul was the one who he was using to execute that. He was the minister uh, that was going to execute that. And, and what's really interesting is in the calling of Paul's, uh, in, in Paul's calling, you also see the heart of God. You also see the heart of God. So, so how do we see the heart of God for his church displayed through this calling? Well, what is, he, what is it that he's proclaiming? He says in verse, uh, uh, the end of verse 25, he says that he was called to make the word of God fully known. In 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And then he says in 27, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How do we see the heart of God in Paul's calling? Well, we see that the heart of God is, to, is, is the furtherance of the gospel message. And what the gospel message is, is this idea of that Christ is in you. The heart of God is to be near to those whom he calls. The heart of God, the gospel message is this good news that in Christ, we are reconciled. We are brought back near to God to be in relationship with him. And as a result of that, we get to know God. We get to know him. God has made himself near and knowable through Jesus. That's, how, that's, that's what Paul is furthering. That's, that's, what Paul, that's the word that Paul is trying to advance, that he is trying to proclaim this message of Christ in you, the mystery hidden for ages, so that you can actually know the one who made you. Sit on that for a second. Sit on the heart of God for you is for, him, for you to know him and be accepted by him. Sit on that for a second. The God who made all things has come near and is in you if you put your hope in Jesus and has made himself noble to you. The heart of God is for you to know him. And he talks about this as this mystery. A mystery hidden for ages and for generations now revealed. What's he talking about there? What does he mean by that? Well, when you look at redemptive history, and what that simply means is God's, uh, uh, God's unfolding plan to bring salvation to the world, um, you and I live in an amazing time. In terms of, of just as we look at the whole scope of history and humanity uh, and how God is unfolding his plan to save, bring uh, salvation to mankind, you and I live in an amazing time because, as, as Paul said, um, we live in a time where God has been made near through his son and Christ is really, literally within us now. He's literally in us now. And so what does he mean, though, that, that at one time that he wasn't known? Or at one time, uh, there was, this mystery was hidden, this idea of God uh, being in us. 
And, and so there's a lot here. Um, and so I'm going to kind of give us a 30,000-foot view. But what I want us to see as we do this is the, the depth of of just the roots of this idea of what Christ has done for us and how Christ, his fingerprint has been throughout all of history. That this culminating moment where you and I get to be in Christ and know God, um, like all the Old Testament is leading up to this point. So you look in Genesis 1 through 3. Like I said, you and I were created to be in relationship with God. You You and I were meant to be in the fullness of relationship with him. And so scripture, Genesis 1 and chapter 2, start off with mankind in this perfect union with God. All that God created was good and beautiful. Sin hadn't corrupted things yet. There was a nearness that we had to God. Um, There was was fellowship with God. There was union. And, And so that's what we are made for, was this idea that you and I were to be in relationship with him. Well, then Genesis 3 happens, and a lot of us know that as a result of Adam and Eve, not just really eating the fruit, but them deciding that I'm going to be a better God than God, sin enters into the world. And what sin does is causes a division, a fracture between us and God. And what that means is because we are far from God, we are in an eternal pursuit of being away from him. So there's this separation. There is this division between us and God because of the fall of man. And like I said, though life through Christ, this, the gospel message was never plan B. What this moment did was begin to set in motion um, God beginning to bring about ultimate salvation back uh, to his people. Salvation bringing, him, bringing his people near to him once again. He look, you look in Genesis chapter 12. And we see that this co- God begins, begins this um, and with this covenant he makes with uh, one of his, his own, Abraham. And he says that through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. All nations would be blessed. And through, this, through uh, Abraham was also to become a people, also known as the Israelites. And they were to be a people in which the character of God was displayed to the world. And through this people would come the Messiah. Well, if you read a little bit of the Old Testament, you know that this group of people, the Israelites, fail, right? And let, let's just pretend like if we were in there too, we would too. Let's not look, be so harsh on them because we do the same thing, all right? But, but, but like the, these people fail, and they always give themselves over to idols and false gods. But yet in the midst of the rebellion, God is still pushing forward his plan to redeem mankind back to himself, He continues to push um, through them, show his faithfulness and his love and kindness. He still is condescending to them in in ways that is near and helpful to them. But yet their their sin still uh, was separating from them. They still had this need for a Messiah to come, right? But God, like I said, God, even despite the rebellion, is furthering his gospel plan, his plan to redeem mankind, And you see all throughout the Old Testament, the Psalms, the prophets, uh, the kings, the Proverbs, all throughout the Old Testament, you see that one was to come that would bring salvation to the world. You see in Deuteronomy 18.15, when Moses is on his way um, to pass and he's passing the baton, you see um, as he's giving the Israelites these final commands as they're about to enter the promised land, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses was told about a greater prophet. 
You see, David, in, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, uh, God tells David that I will raise up from your offspring after you who shall come for your, who, 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 sorry, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David got to learn about the one whose kingdom would have no end. Or Jeremiah. Jeremiah in chapter 23 talks about this righteous branch that was to come. He says in chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In, the, in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And check this, and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah was told about the one who would be righteous for us because we couldn't be. And probably one of the more explicit um, gospel proclamations in the Old Testament, um, Isaiah chapter 7, the prophet says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah was told about the one who would bring God near to his people again. This is just a small sampling of what we see in the Old Testament. What, what we get to now experience of Christ in us, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, long to see. They got to see in part this mystery of Christ in us, this Messiah to come that was going to bring back mankind into fullness of relationship with God. They got to see in part. And that, but that's why I say you and I live in an incredible time because what they saw in part, we get to experience in its fullness, this mystery of Christ in you. And like I said, this is what Paul is talking about, the mystery that is hidden for ages, but now revealed. Now we can see, right? It's this idea that, that God was unfolding his salvation plan all throughout the Old Testament to bring us back to a place where we can now be in full relationship with God because of what Christ has done for us. And the, the verse 27 makes it explicit. And like I said, it really kind of echoes uh, Genesis 12 because Genesis 12 says all nations will be blessed. And, God's, and, and he says in verse 27 that this truth of Christ in you is revealed to the Gentiles as well. Right? It's, it's for all people, is another way to say that. This, this mystery of Christ dwelling in his people is for all of us. It is such an amazing time that we live in, that we get to experience nearness with God because of Christ. Now then, what does that mean for us? We just internalize this for a second. It means if Christ is in you, you are adopted into his family. You are a son. You are a daughter. If Christ is in you, um, as Paul says in uh, Corinthians, you are perfectly righteous because the righteousness of Christ is in you. If, if, if Christ is, is in you, and if you just back up a couple verses uh, before, like Ryan talked about last week, you are holy and blameless and above reproach. All these things are the qualifications that we need to be, uh, to have, to be before God, to enjoy a relationship with him. And guess what? In Christ, we have those. We have those. 
So what does this have to do within our maturity, with our growth? And so when I, when I came to San Angelo back in 2006, um, the only reason why I really came to, this, to San Angelo was to, to go to ASU and to run cross country and track. Um, that, that was kind of my, my background. And so, um, but when I came to, to try to join on the cross, cross country and track team, I was a walk-on. Uh, and what that meant was that I had to try to earn my spot. Um, I had to try to um, work hard and just, and, and really the top, for cross country, it's the top seven that, that you want to be on. You want to be the top seven because that's who runs, that's who scores points and all that good stuff. I won't get into that. But that was my goal. My goal, I was a walk-on. I wanted to get onto this team. I wanted to get on, on, onto the team. So, so we had a lot of great runners at the time, uh, a lot of just really fast guys. Um, and, and, and just after a few weeks of just hard, uh, a lot of hard workouts and me trying not to die, um, by God's grace, I made the team, right? By God's grace, I, 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 made, I made the team. Now, I could have just been satisfied and just like, all right, that's it, I'm on. I don't have to work hard. I wanted to keep my spot. I wanted to not get kicked. I didn't kicked off. I didn't want to get the boot, get the, get the boot. And so for me, like I said, it wasn't just, I didn't want to make the team. But once I was on the team, I wanted to continue to grow as a runner, to continue to grow and help the team. So for us as Christians, what does this have to do with our maturity? This idea of understanding that Christ is in us. Except we, we, we want to celebrate the fact that we've been reconciled and, and been on the team. We're now on, on the team. Right? We want to celebrate that. But it's not, we don't want to just stay there. We want to continue to grow and mature as disciples. It was like I said, for, for Paul, it wasn't just about salvation, but it was about maturation. It was about progressing. It was about looking more and more like Jesus. You look in verses 28 and 29. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So like I said, Paul's goal was to present everyone mature in Christ. He wanted them to, to, he wanted them to be, uh, grow as disciples. He wanted them just to understand the nearness of God in them. But as a result of that, he wanted them to progress and to grow as believers. And what's interesting is in verse 29, the way that he goes about that, he says, I toil to this end. That means to exhaust yourself, to work tire, tirelessly. And he says that as he's toiling, he's struggling with the power that is within him. And so what that means, which power, what power was in him? I mean, Jesus. Jesus was the one who was strengthening him. Jesus was the one who was working in him. And ultimately, it was up to Christ to produce the fruit uh, of maturation in the believers that he's ministering to. But Paul didn't see that what Paul, how Paul internalized that was because God is powerfully working in him, he was also going to work. Or it's as uh, one theologian, N.T. Wright, he says it like this, because God is at work, Paul was at work. So, so it's this idea that, that Paul was going to work, but it was God that was the one that was actually producing the change. He was using Paul. Remember, Paul's this minister. He was using Paul. But ultimately, Paul was reliant on the strength of God to actually produce the fruit, to actually produce the change. And so Paul said he was going to work tirelessly for their growth. But ultimately, he knew that it was God that was the one that had to do it. And so, so then what does it mean then to be mature? So when he says, I'm going to present them mature in Christ, 
Actually, that word for mature actually means perfect. I want to present you perfect in Christ. There are actually some connotations of, uh, of Christ's return in this text. Of, hey, at the end, at, when Christ returns, man, we will be presented perfect in its entirely. But until then, we're going to work towards this end of being perfect. Paul wasn't, for their growth, Paul wasn't going to take shortcuts. Paul wasn't about um, just trying to just, I can't, you can, can do a little here, but that's fine. One day it'll be okay. He wanted them to be full-on committed disciples of Jesus. But, but what that meant was not a set of changed behaviors. What, I mean, would your, would your life look different? Yes. Maturation and, and growth in Christ was not just about a behavior, uh, look, behavior modification, but rather it was a heart and life that revolved around the person of Jesus. For Paul, to present people mature in Christ was not just, all right, stop, stop cussing, um, stop fussing, stop, what's the third one? I don't remember what the third one was um, that, from that progressive commercial. Um, right? It wasn't just about, uh, all right, stop these things, do these things, and just try to be better people. To present people mature in Christ, it wasn't just a behavior. It had to be a heart level as well. It was about a life that was, that, that was growing in its love for Jesus. Right? It was growth, growth, growth wasn't about behavior change, but rather it was about revolving your heart around a greater love. Because like I said, the thing is for all of us is we can grow in, 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 in not doing certain things anymore. Right? We can, we can, which we should, should, like it's good, it's a good thing. But like we can grow and we can be good Christians from the outside, but have hearts that are far from him, i.e. the Pharisees. We can externally look like we got our things together, but in actuality, we have a heart that is cold and hard from God. So the goal is not just to change your behavior, but rather it's to grow in a love for Jesus and letting him be the one your whole life revolves around. It's about an elevation of Christ in you and and less of you. It's this idea, as as John the Baptist says, that, that that he must Increase and my decrease. David says um, that in in Psalm thirty seven four he says that we are to delight yourself. He said, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." And so, what this is saying here is not, "Hey, love God, and then He's going to give you what you want." Rather, it's this idea that as we revolve our life around Jesus, this idea that He is in us, our desires will begin to match His. It's, what, it's, what I, it's, it's like what we talked about at the beginning, this reshuffling of what we find valuable. It's this reshuffling of what we find important in our lives. And so rather, when we delight in Jesus, when we revolve our whole life around him, we lean into the fact that God has made us himself knowable and near to us. Right? It's this idea that as that happens, he's beginning to conform and transform us into his image. And this, this is rooted in abiding this is rooted in being near to Jesus. Like I said, this is not just behavior modification. This isn't just about us trying to stop doing some things. This is rather about knowing a person. Presenting mature in Christ is about knowing Jesus. It's about knowing him more. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is there anything in our life that Christ might be helping you move away from? Is there anything in our life that we might hold as more valuable than Jesus? So so for some of us, 
Um, maybe maybe it's, it's our jobs. We find a big part of our identity in our jobs. For, for some, it might be our opinions, our political beliefs, that we think are, 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 these are the most important things in our lives. For some of us, there's a sin that seems to have a grip on us that if we're honest with ourselves, we like it a little bit more um, than we would admit. For some, like myself, it's this idea of approval and needing others to see you as capable and apt. Right? Like, there's so many things that we can hold in higher esteem than Jesus. And like I said, the goal for us is not to try to stop those things. The goal for us is to know Jesus because in knowing Jesus, he begins to help us repent of these things and turn from these things and live in a way that is following him. But like I said, it's about a dying to yourself. We've heard that before. It's about a dying to yourself. The more that we hold Jesus in higher esteem, the more that we will die to our own wills, to our own kingdoms, to our own selfish wills and desires. Like I said, this is an ongoing process that we need so much grace for. But like I said, the only way that we will be able to die to ourselves truly is not by self-will and determination, but rather it's an abiding and elevation of Jesus in our lives. It's about allowing him to have control and reigns. It's about allowing him um, to help us not hold so tightly onto things that we don't need to hold tightly onto. Like I said, maturity is a dying to yourself and and valuing Christ above all. And a strong and healthy Christian, a one who, as Paul was working hard towards to help people walk in, was a Christian who was always willing to die to themselves, to, to lay aside things that they might think are important, but that actually are in conflict with knowing Jesus more. It's this idea of lying our, laying aside ourselves and our own wills and our own desires and letting Christ take the reins and rule us and transform us. That's what a strong and mature Christian is. It's not one who needs less and less of Jesus. It's one who rather realizes their need for him more and more. We don't graduate from the gospel. We don't, and this is what Paul's trying to get at. We don't, like the gospel is not just the gateway, the entry point into salvation and unity with God, but rather we need God's ongoing grace to help us continue to lay down our own wills and our own desires and our own little kingdoms for the sake of his. Like we need God's help. And, and it's like I said, it's not just about doing these things, but rather it's about in this process of that, getting to know somebody. And like I said, a strong a mature Christian, a healthy Christian, is one who will die to themselves and allows Christ to def- transform them. And then more on this next week, a strong and healthy church is a church made of Christians that are willing to def- die to themselves and elevate Jesus above everything. So like chances are, if we're honest with ourselves, the Spirit might be showing us some things right now that, are, that we are holding too tightly onto. Um, we might be sensing uh, just, man, there are these things in my life, this sin that I like too much of, or this thing that I, I, maybe I hold too dear. Chances are the Spirit might be doing that work in you. You may be feeling, maybe feeling the need to reorient your life around uh, uh, Jesus instead of whatever those things are. You, you may be feeling like you need to take certain steps. Man, I need, I, I need to move away from these things. I need to reprioritize. I need to hold Jesus in higher esteem. The first step in any of that um, is not 
some kind of behavior. But it's the first step in true change and transformation is knowing that you are welcomed at the table. The table um, that, that God has set before us, the, the communion table, this partaking of, of the elements, this partaking the, of that when Christ um, shed his blood and broke his body for us, that we are invited into his presence. And if the worship team, if y'all can go ahead and come on up. And so like I said, my hope for us as the Spirit is working in this room, um, as the Lord might be convicting us, as the Lord may be urging us um, to, to let go of some things, we, we have to understand our gospel identity first before we make any change. We have to understand that true change is rooted um, in the fact that we have a loving and gracious Father that in spite of our weakness, in spite of the things, the sins that we hold too closely to, that we are still welcome to partake at the table. We are still welcome um, in his presence. Conviction is not condemnation, but rather it is just another opportunity for us to lay down our own wills and know Jesus more. So remember that because Christ is in you, God is near to you. Engulf yourself in his love and his acceptance and his kindness. And as we partake in the elements this morning, Remind yourself that the gospel still applies to you. Remind yourself that you may have had a bad week. You may have fallen short in some pretty miserable ways, some pretty hard ways. That does not nullify the gospel. That does not uh, take away God's grace for you. Rather, that is just another opportunity for you to go to the table and recognize your need before your Father and let him love you and lavish you with grace. Engulf yourself in his love and kindness and knowing that you are accepted and approved if you are in Christ. And so like I said, the elements, in just a moment, um, as we partake, the elements are in the back. Uh, We have one station up front as well. Um, Take your time. Uh, Use this moment to just confess some things to the Lord and let that be the first step. Let that be the first step in reshuffling uh, what you hold valuable. Let the gospel minister your own heart, the fact that Jesus died for that thing that you feel like you need to repent of and that he still loves you and he still accepts you. He doesn't just tolerate you. The gospel is for you, even in your mess. Let your first act of renewal and change and steps towards maturity in Christ be coming to the table. Recognizing your lowliness, recognizing your weakness, and recognizing the fact that you have a God and Father who is able to transform you and present you mature in Christ. So Lord, we're so thankful for your love for us and your kindness. Thank you for accepting us, not because of what we have done, but rather because of what your son has done for us. Spirit of the living God, I ask that you would continue to work in our hearts. Help us see the things, God, that we need to let go of, things that we've been holding too tightly onto. And Lord, as we let go of them, let us know that you, God, your love is still present for us that your love and grace is for us and that you want to continue 
to help us see you more and more in our life. So Jesus, we're thankful that you've accepted us. Uh, you've redeemed us. You've forgiven us. God, we thank you that you are working in us and yet you have not let us go despite of the things that we might have messed up in. So we praise things in your son's name. Amen. Respond as you feel like the Lord's leading you to respond.